0: This is Upfront Tech. I'm Brian Edwards-Teekert. I want to take you back to the day that Facebook's privacy public relations implosion began. It was Friday, March 17th. The company tried to preempt forthcoming reports in The New York Times and The Guardian by announcing that it had banned a political consulting firm named Cambridge Analytica for misappropriating Facebook user data on some 50 million people. And just hours before that announcement went out from Facebook, our next guest filed legal papers in Britain to find out just what exactly Cambridge Analytica knew about him. David Carroll is a professor of media design at Parsons and a privacy crusader. Thank you for joining us. It's great to be here. Thanks. Why don't we start at the beginning? When did you start caring about what information Cambridge Analytica has on you?
1: Well, I was looking at the industry more broadly in 2014 and 2015 after I became a failed tech entrepreneur and realized sort of how the sausage was made and the pressures by investors to monetize data And I had really, you know, burrowed my way into the publishing and ad tech industry and was trying to, you know, push them on the issues of privacy very early on. And um, obviously was getting nowhere, Uh, but tried to warn them that, uh, you know, something big was going to blow up in their faces. Uh, During the 2015 primary season, I was looking at all the candidates uh, and their Practices and collecting data to target voters and I had noticed the Ted Cruz campaign uh, was particularly aggressive uh, And started to look into their company Cambridge Analytica
0: What was Cambridge Analytica doing for the Cruz campaign?
1: You know just trying to in in a way like catch up and leapfrog with the Obama data machine of the prior uh, election so using mobile apps to slurp up everyone's contact information uh, and just any ability to hoover up as much data as possible. Uh, You could see back then that they were the most aggressive and actually an industry trade group called the Online Trust uh, Alliance uh, gave the cruise campaign a failing grade when it comes to privacy and data protection.
0: But I mean, it's not new for campaigns to build up files on the voters they're hoping to either persuade or mobilize. Is this just a case of using slightly less savory methods of getting data that other campaigns are collecting anyway?
1: Certainly, there's a sort of arms race, and every election cycle they become more and more aggressive. Uh, so I was on the lookout for sort of just how more, just how aggressive. Uh, The techniques would become and when we started to get into this psychological profiling Business, it seemed pretty curious to me because I was under the impression that People thought that their psychological profile was something they would keep between them and their therapist and their doctor Uh, but I guess
0: not Explain what we know about how the psychological profiling that Cambridge Analytica purports to do works.
1: It's based on uh, research from Cambridge University. Um, um, Mikhail Kaczynski, who's currently at Stanford, and David Stilwell, who's still at Cambridge, developed a technique which is very similar to how Netflix works. Um, Basically, it finds in a huge data set the people who like the same things and then can find the correlations between them and then can use that to model us along what's called the ocean model, which is, stands for openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And when they can take a huge population and model out how you fit uh, above or below average on those five factors, you can find outliers. You can find people who are very open, very neurotic, or in the opposite direction. So it could be a potential useful tool to find people within the electorate. I've never been concerned that it is accurate for any one person. Uh, I've only been concerned about how it is accurate when modeling, for example, the entire electorate to find especially susceptible voters.
0: But describe like a, a worst case scenario for that how, how might it be applied?
1: So they claim to have four to 5,000 data points on all registered voters in the United States. Uh, that's a huge amount of data, potentially the largest voter database ever assembled. And if they could, and if they could uh, enrich that data model um, over the course of the primary season and into the summer of 2016, to the point where the prediction of the entire model was significantly better than a coin toss, so meaning maybe 70%, 80%. Ooh, if it was 90%, it could really do some da- damage. And then they could find, and this is what they sort of claim to be able to do, is potentially find voters who are very open and very neurotic. And those would be voters who would be very susceptible to conspiracy theory thinking, very susceptible to attack ads, very susceptible to messages that would be very divisive. And so if they could find in the 200 million voters you know, maybe uh, a 200,000 voters who were very susceptible and then locate them in competitive districts, uh, they could just use the regular tools of the industry like Facebook and all of advertising technology to target them individually and really surround them with messages that no one else was seeing. And so, you know, it's a combination of this ability to find susceptible voters, to narrow down and target them, and to test if the messages are working, because if they, for example, engage with ads or share ads or click on things, that shows that they're responding to it, and they can continually sort of iterate and um, use a continuous experiment on them to to get them to potentially uh, exhibit the behavior that they would want them to exhibit, such as Um, turning in an early ballot if their state offers uh, early uh, voting, things like that. So I think it was a very aggressive campaign and unprecedented in the way that the entire electorate was modeled with these psychological profiles, potentially.
0: All right. Uh, We're speaking to David Carroll. He's a professor of media design at Parsons. He has reached some amount of national fame because he has been going to court in the United Kingdom to try to get the file that Cambridge Analytica has on him. How did you wind up pursuing that path, going to court abroad?
1: Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Uh, so because of my interest in the industry and privacy issues related to advertising, uh, I got to know, um, European researchers who they are way ahead of us on this. And, um, uh, after the election, I was uh, I, I learned about the process in Europe where you can ask for your own data, and by law, they have to give it to you. This is a right that we don't have in the United States. They call it the right of a- a- access. You have the right to your own data to see what they have. Uh, and in January, I uh, did what's called the subject access request to Cambridge Analytica. And then in March, uh, the data w- uh, was delivered to me um, mysteriously by... Um, a address, an email address from SCL group. Um, and I posted it SCL to Twitter group is
0: the parent company of Cambridge Analytica.
1: Exactly. And I posted it to Twitter and I got a lot of uh, reaction to it. And it was really interesting to see, um, British legal scholars take a look at it and be like, no, this doesn't look lawful. Um, so that's when I got myself a solicitor. I didn't know the difference between a solicitor and a barrister before I went into this, and we started to look into it more closely. Uh, in on July fourth, twenty seventeen, uh, quite poetically, perhaps, I filed with the UK or the UK Information Commissioner's Office, a formal complaint that contributed to their ongoing investigation, um, and that investigation resulted in. The commissioner getting a warrant on criminal court to seize the servers, uh, so extremely significant. And then uh, simultaneously to that, uh, was pursuing the uh, ability to file a lawsuit, which I involved doing a crowdfunding campaign using crowd justice. I had to raise um, at least £25,000 to cover the potential adverse costs of filing the claim, because in the British system, Uh, If you sue somebody and you lose, you're on the hook, uh, which is different than our system in the United States. So it's been a long process of raising the money, building the case, building a legal team. I have a formidable legal team in Britain working for me um, because a lot of people think this could be a really important case and set a really important precedent, uh, but also highlights the stark difference between... The U.S. privacy approach and the British and European privacy approach, and how strange it is that we have rights in another country, and the reason is because our data was processed there, and you get rights where your data was processed if you can prove that they processed it, and we did that back in January.
0: So you you have gotten a preliminary response to your request from Cambridge Analytica. What what does that tell you that they know about you?
1: Um, well. It looked like a, a sort of garden variety voter profile. You could say it listed ten political issues in order of importance. It predicted my partisanship as a very unlikely Republican, and it predicted my um, likelihood of participating. So, it didn't have a lot of information. It certainly wasn't the four to five thousand data points that the company brags it has nor did it have any psychological profiling. So I was a little suspicious of it right from the start. And the more I looked into it, uh, and the more I had experts look at it, they agreed that it couldn't possibly be complete.
0: So is the issue here that they kind of shared their conclusions with you without sharing the data they used to reach those conclusions?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Um, And I was further encouraged when Channel 4 uh, in the UK... Uh, released a video last week of Colorado voters being showed their complete psychographic profiles created by Cambridge Analytica, and to see their reactions is quite remarkable. And to see what a full uh, data profile looks like um, was very vindicating, I think, because uh, they, they have the capacity to collect almost infinite amount of information on us which also makes it strange that they wouldn't offer up that when I asked for it.
0: Yeah. I mean, one possible interpretation of the very limited data set you got from them was uh, maybe they don't have as much as they've been telling their prospective clients they do. It, it's not unheard of for consultants to uh, oversell themselves and under-deliver.
1: Absolutely. Um, so I'm making them prove it. Uh, because they could be um, intentionally minimizing it. Um, So we want to make sure that they're not. Um, It's certainly very easy to acquire the data. It's certainly easy to acquire all the voter registration files. It's certainly easy to acquire the Facebook data, as we can see. It's certainly easy to buy data from data brokers like Experian, Axiom, Rocket Fuel, etc. This is all available on the open market. There's no laws against it. There's not even laws against processing it in other countries. Um, So I just want them to be sort of under the requirements of the UK Data Protection Act to uh, fully disclose and make sure that I know for sure that they have fully disclosed because the, the regulator, the information commissioner, uh, verifies that it's complete since they're auditing their servers now. Uh, and also that a court decides if uh, the, that I have a right to seek this information, which the information commissioner and members of parliament agree that I do.
0: The other big question here in my mind is, is the focus on Cambridge Analytica a, a, a distraction from the company that has far more data on four more people, which is Facebook, the platform this data started with?
1: Well, we opt in to use Facebook. We decide to u- u- make an account and we decide to use it and we decide to provide information on it. We don't fully understand the data they have on us or how they use it, but we choose to do that. No one chose for a foreign military contractor to build a psychological profile on
0: any of us. It's not the same thing. But does it speak to your global concerns about privacy?
1: Uh, it certainly does, in the sense that the, the, the company SCL uh, has operated in many, many countries around the world, and we're not the only country that is sort of roiled by this revelation. Mexico, India, Kenya, Malaysia, Thailand, Nigeria. I could go on and on. So this whole internationalized industry that uses military techniques and technologies that is um, sort of using people's data against them without their knowledge is a global problem that is interfering with the democratic process. And as the whistleblower Christopher Wiley said in Parliament, it could be understood as a form of digital colonialism. And when we think about it that way, it's really alarming and a threat to not only our personal sovereignty, but potentially our national sovereignty, because it would be against federal election law to have foreign nationals working on political campaigns. And the company was warned about this by their lawyer, uh, Rudy Giuliani's firm, so the fact that that they are using international firms to to potentially evade or to complicate potential enforcement is very troubling i mean the fact that i have to spend a year in another country trying to figure this out something's wrong
0: yeah i guess i'm trying to like tease out the legal questions which are quite narrow in the united states from the the kind of moral questions like Is your problem that Cambridge Analytica got its hands on this data? Is it that this data moves around without the full knowledge or informed consent of the people it's on, or is it that this amount of data on private individuals exists at all in the first place?
1: I think all of the above. And so we have to demand transparency so that we can even understand its potential effects. There's a lot of interesting debates about, for example, whether this psychological profiling is effective. But unless we can have transparency in the system, we really don't know for sure. So it's important to... you know, it, We will live in a world of unbelievable data collection and profiling, but we're only going to be able to maintain our democratic principles if we can assert our property rights over our own data so that we can have transparency and figure out
0: what it is. So David Carroll, what's next for you? As I understand it, your legal actions in Britain have not yet risen to the level of being a lawsuit. What do you have to exhaust before you get there?
1: So uh, in the not too distant future, they'll hit their deadline um, where they have to respond to the request for disclosure. Um, And then, obviously, if they decline to offer it, then the judge could order it. And if the judge orders it, that would move us down one path. If the judge does not order it, that would move us down a different path. I think at this point, any outcome will be interesting.
0: Now that you've had a considerable experience with the European Union's data privacy law, uh, what do you think of it? There's a serious conversation about how these things should be regulated in this country for basically the first time. Is it a good model? Is it insufficient?
1: I have learned how utterly flawed our approach to privacy law is through this process and how superior the European and British model is, that it actually you know, gives people data rights, very specific data rights, and across all of society. Whereas in the United States, we only get privacy rights in very narrow vertical applications, primarily like in colleges and universities, in the hospital and the doctor's office, a couple of other very specific examples. But horizontally, we have absolutely no protection. And we can see now why that is a flawed approach. It's because data leaks across all aspects of our life. It's not just about being in the doctor's office, because obviously the confidentiality of sitting with a therapist is routinely violated at scale as we speak.
0: It's super interesting that, that our kind of framework of privacy laws here is all restrictions on the government and the public sector, and that the private sector is left to kind of just do what it wants with our information.
1: Yes, and this creates the sort of data leakage problem. Um, so for example, if you go to the doctor and you have a sore throat and you get a strep test, And it turns out you do have strep throat. Uh, That is protected by the HIPAA law. But then you go to the pharmacy and you buy lozenges and throat spray and swipe your loyalty card. And Cambridge Analytica knows that you have strep throat.
0: At least if they are paying Experian for the data. Thank you so much for talking to us.
1: It's great to be on and great to be able to talk about this stuff. It's really
0: important stuff. David Carroll is a professor of media design at Parsons. In recent years, he's become quite the outspoken privacy advocate. He's taken that to the level of going to court in Britain to try to find out what information political consulting firm Cambridge Analytica has on him. That does it for this edition of Upfront Tech. If you like what you're hearing, help us out. Rate and review us in whatever app you use to listen. It really helps us get the word out. Upfront Tech is produced and hosted by me, Brian edwards Teaker, with help from Lucy Kang. If you just found this, especially if you live in the Bay Area, you might also like the daily show that we produce at KPFA. It's called Upfront, No Tech. We're on live weekday mornings from 7 to 9 a.m. Pacific, streaming at kpfa.org or over the terrestrial airwaves at 94.1 FM. We also love to hear what you think. Send email to upfront.com at kpfa.org.